a miktam of David. That's probably a song type. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then to Matthew chapter 7, this passage from the Sermon on the Mount. Just a couple of verses there. Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, over the last couple of weeks, I've been reading a little bit about um, the, the woman, I, I, I know I won't get her name quite right, uh, Tara Parker Tomlinson. Is that right? Did I get that right? Uh, she uh, was a friend to the royal family uh, and is, is really known because uh, she was the first or one of the first of what they called the It Girls. Uh, these people that were becoming very famous simply for being famous, not because they you know, were great actors or performers or anything, but simply because they seemed to be people who had it all together, they were attractive, they, they seemed to be living free and, uh, and, and have a fluidity to life and a, a joy of living and an excitement to their lives. And, and, and so they became the envy of, of so many people and, and the paparazzi would follow them around uh, and all of this simply because they looked good and, and they just had the right connections, the right family, the right friends, and, and that kind of thing. And, and uh, uh, this woman, sadly, has died now at age 45. And back in 2012, she was giving an interview, and, and uh, she seemed to be the person that had it all. I mean, the person that had it all together, and, and in the end... Uh, had to go into rehab because of her 400 pound a day cocaine habit uh, and also because of her severe indebtedness she had to go to debtors anonymous and she talked about that time 
and how she would be going to these parties that were filled with all the beautiful people, the attractive people, uh, the A-list type people, uh, the people that other people would seem to admire, the people that would look at those people and say, wow, they've got it all together. They've got a really good life. This is so amazing. What a good life they live. I wish I could be like them. And she said she would go to these parties and she would feel like a pile of, I won't say the word, but it starts with an S. And here, tragically, she's died at the age of 45. And you look at that and you say, is that kind of life what the good life is all about? And for so many people, that's what they think. If they think the good life, they think, you know, a a fame, a fortune, uh, attraction, being an attractive person, having all the relationships that I want, all the people around me that I would like, being able to, to live without having to work very hard. You know, any number of things that might be exemplified, not only in this woman, but in, in many countless others like her that are in the headlines today. And it causes us to wonder, you know, is that the good life? Is that what it's all about? And time after time, if we watch, if we open our eyes, we read stories, similar stories about people who seem to have everything that they could possibly want, who seem to have everything together, and yet, at the end of their lives, they look back and say, well, I lived it. I'm not sure that I would say it's really the good life. And that's what we've been looking at. What is the good life, and how do we live the good life. How do we know it? How do we discern it? How do we live it? And of course we saw, you know, we, we saw that the, the understanding of the good life starts with the knowledge that God is good, that God does good, uh, all, it just being surrounded and filled with an understanding of the goodness of God that, that obviously for us the good life uh, continues or flows out of being a good person, a good person made new in Christ Jesus. You know, no good tree can uh, bear bad fruit. No bad tree bears good fruit. You know, so that, that goodness inside of us that comes to us through Jesus Christ, we've learned as well looking at the good life, that good life is lived in unity with other people. Uh, we see as well that if we want to really discern what the good life is, then the place of worship, the place of surrender to God, is a great place to discern. And we looked at that last week, and that's again why this week we're going to spend a little bit extra time in worship after the sermon today, uh, just to give us more time to seek the Lord and, and more time to discern what God might say to us and more time just to lift up our lives and honor God and love God. Now you look at David, and David is the one that's writing the psalm here, And you say, well, you know, did David live the good life? Did David live the good life? Well, on the one hand, well, adulterer, murderer, children rebelled against him. Uh, That's kind of a big, a lot of problems there in David's life. And yet at the same time, David was a man after God's own heart, that there was a dynamic inside of David that was linked with God. And so even though David's life wasn't perfect, and even though it had a lot of struggles and a lot of heartache, uh, certainly part of the, the, the judgment of Scripture would be that David lived a good life, even though he did many bad things. 
And it reminds us that living the good life is not just about what we do, and it's not just about what we had uh, and have, because David was living the good life when he was out in the wilderness, just like he was living the good life when he was in Jerusalem. And so this psalm here tells us a lot about David's understanding of the good life, because in this psalm, essentially, what David is declaring is that his life is good that he is living the good life. Now this is before he committed a lot of the big sins that he did, but still he's looking at his life and saying, okay, I've had these struggles, I've had these problems, I've lost my best friend, that was Jonathan, he was killed in battle. Uh, I I had the king out to get me. I had to be out in the wilderness. I had to play like an insane guy. You know, you look at, read the life of David and see all the stuff that happened. But he's looking at his life and he's saying, yeah, my life was good, but how did he get there? And how did he get to this understanding? Why could he say that he was living the good life? And if we understand that, we see a little bit more about the understanding of how we too can live the good life. And the good life for David, and and it simply does for us as well, begins there in verse 1. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. This means that the center of his life was going to be God. That's why he was a man after God's own heart, because he made God the center of his life. Even when he did horrible things and wandered away from that, he always wandered back to that focus on God. And he makes this declaration in verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. If we are to live the good life, it must begin with this affirmation. If we're going to discern it, if we're going to live it out, obviously as people who have been made good in Christ Jesus, if we're going to live the good life, it has to have, it has to begin, it has to contain, it has to be summarized even in this, you are my God, I have no good apart from you. One of the fundamental reasons why many people, including many if not most Christians in the West, I don't know about the rest of the world, but I've been around quite a bit of the West, uh, the Western world now. I've met a lot of Christians, and there are a lot of Christians who are not living the good life. There are a lot of Christians who, who are not living the good life. And that's not, not because they're struggling or anything. It's just they're not living the good life. Why? Because they do not make this declaration, I have no good apart from you. So often what we want to do is we want to... F- We say, God, I'm going to follow you, but actually I'm not sure that what you're going to do with me and in my life is going to be good. And so I'm going to follow you, but I'm going to look for good elsewhere. I'm going to follow you, but I'm going to look for good in some relationship. I'm going to follow you, but I'll look for good in the possessions that I might have. I'm going to follow you, but I'm going to look for good in my job. Now, those things aren't wrong. It's not wrong to have relationships. It's not wrong to have a job. Uh, It's not wrong to have possessions. It's not wrong to have a house. It's not wrong to have food, clothes, all those things. None of that's wrong. But when you're looking to that for your good, that's what's wrong. And so David declares, God, you're my Lord, and I have no good in my life whatsoever apart from you. All the good that I have whether it comes through work, 
whether it comes through my possessions, whether it comes through my relationships, whether it comes through my church, where I live, the government, whatever good that I have in my life, it's coming from you. I have no good without you. And that has to be a central affirmation of our lives. Otherwise, you will not ever really live the good life. You will not ever really live the good life. And if you look at David's life, every time that David committed a great sin, he committed the sin because he was looking for good apart from God. Every single time, he was looking for good apart from God. And so he says, I have no good apart from you. Absolutely essential. And then he goes on to declare another thing about the good life here. Verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Now this might be a little bit difficult to understand, but David is saying here effectively, God, I have no good apart from you, and also living the good life depends on the saints, the holy people that you have in my life around me. The saints are in the land, the saints are holy ones. By the way, if you're in Christ, you're a saint. So this is Saint Samuel, Saint Joshua, Saint Olashina, uh, and so on and so forth. You can look around and see uh, what's really a challenge. You know, kid, uh, adults, parents, look at your children and call them saint. You know, and just give their name. I see Saint Jada over there. You know, all that. Okay, so so you're all a saint. And if you're a saint in the orbit of another person, you're a saint in their land. Okay? As for the saints in the land. Okay, so far that's, that's pretty good. The excellent ones. Wait a second. I'm looking at these people and I'm thinking, I see a lot of people here, but I, I'm not sure how many of them I'd say were Excellent. No, maybe Andrew. I'd say Andrew's excellent, but I don't know about the rest of you guys. Well, I, 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 you know, what is David doing here? He's not looking at the failures and foibles and mistakes and weaknesses of the saints in his land. He's looking at the qualities in the people around him that are excellent and praiseworthy. This is what he's doing. He's not living in denial. He's not living in denial. He's not living in, in this illusion that he's created about the people around him saying, oh, you're so wonderful, you're so wonderful, you're so wonderful. He's not doing that. What he's doing is looking at the saints, the fellow followers of God that are in his orbit, and he's looking at what is excellent in them. He's looking at what is praiseworthy. He's looking at their great, their best qualities. Do you know one of the biggest problems we have is we look at the worst qualities in people, not the best qualities. And if you look at the worst qualities in people, I guarantee you that two things. One, you'll never have many friends. And two, you won't live the good life. So David here, he says, here's the saints, the fellow followers of God who are in my orbit, I'm looking at what is excellent in, in them, and I am going to delight in them. I'm going to rejoice in them. I'm going to enjoy them. 
One of the biggest challenges we have, not only do we look for the worst in people, but also we don't enjoy the people that are around us. We look for other people we want to enjoy. Oh, if I only had this person, if I was only in this kind of church, if I only had this people around me, if I only had a friend that would do this, and I only had a friend that would do that, and if I only had people calling me up all the time or WhatsApping me all the time, or, or if I only had people doing this or doing that or doing the other thing, you know, then, then I'd be happy, then I would live a good life, then, then I would be blessed. And what David is saying here, he's saying, hey, I'm looking at the fellow travelers with God around me in my orbit. I'm looking at what is excellent in them, and I'm going to delight in them, not for what they give me, not for what they do for me, but simply because of who they are in my life for the time that I have them. It's not making demands on them. It's not saying, well, you, if you really liked me, you'd spend more time with me. If you really liked me, you'd help me more. If you really liked me, you'd do more for me. It's not having that kind of self-centered attitude. It's an attitude of looking at the best in other people and delighting in what is best in other people and enjoying people as you have them. I had a powerful time when I was getting ready to leave my last church and come here to, uh, to London, to City Temple, uh, there were, uh, uh, God was doing a, a number of things, and about, uh, uh, oh, it was about two months before the church called me, and uh, eight months, nine months before uh, everything was put in place so I could actually come here, uh, the Lord spoke to two different sets of, two families in our church, uh, spoke to the wives in those families and said, hey, enjoy the time you have with Rod and Karen, because they're not going to be here much longer. Now that was before God told me anything of what's going on. And it was interesting because we had very, very precious times. In fact, we, we, easily, could not, we easily could have chosen not to have left. In fact, I, I begged our elders to find any reason at all for us not to come. Because if they came up with any excuse at all, we would have stayed because we were really having a great time. We were enjoying our lives with people. Now we enjoy our lives with you all too. And I, I would be... I would have been seriously less enriched in my life had I not been at City Temple. But we learn this here at City Temple. We have so many people that come and go. We'll have people sometimes for three, four, five years, sometimes for three, four, five weeks. And the big thing is you've got to enjoy the people that you have when you have them. Look for what is excellent in them and take delight in them without making demands on them and that's another key for the good life. So I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, the excellent ones, those are the ones I'm going to delight in. Then he goes on, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Now another dynamic here is God, David is, is kind of reaffirming essentially what he says in verse 2 when he says, I have no good apart from you. He's also saying, I'm not going to look to anything else for good. I'm not going to be looking to my job. I'm not going to be looking to money. I'm not going to be looking to false gods to worship there like they could bring some good in my life. I'm going to make God my top priority and I'm not going to look to anything else for good because I know I have no good apart from God. He's orienting his life away from idols, away from the things of the world, and toward God. 
And then he goes on in verse 5 and says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So not only here is David realizing the Lord is his good. There's no good apart from the Lord. He's not going to look to anything else for good. He's going to rejoice in the saints in the land that are around him. But then he's going to make a conscious choice in saying, God, you are my God. You are my portion. You are the one that I'm following. You know, God chooses us, but then asks us to choose him. God moves toward us in grace. And He moves in our hearts to come toward Him. But He loves it when we choose Him. And David in choosing God here, he's not just choosing God, he's not just choosing to follow God. That's not what it's about. He's saying, God, the life that You have for me, that's the life I choose. Whatever that life is, God, the life You have for me, That is the life I choose because I choose you. And I know that if I choose the life you have for me, then the boundary lines will fall for me in pleasant places. And we could say many more things from this, but the key, he says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. I've set the Lord always before me. It's going back to the whole ideas of discerning, of listening, of asking the Lord to speak, of asking the Lord to show him uh, the good life, Uh, He's rejoicing in the Lord because he knows that God won't abandon him, uh, that God won't let him see corruption. And then he says down here at the end, you make known to me the path of life. And so I need to follow that path. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And you're At the right hand of God, you're close. If you're going to be at the right hand of somebody, you're close. And that's where pleasures are forevermore. That's where real fullness of joy is as we follow along the path of life that God sets out for us. And that path of life always goes through Jesus. In fact, verse 10 has been used as a prophecy about the resurrection of Jesus. That he would not stay in the grave, that God would not let his Holy One, Jesus, see corruption, but that he would be raised on the third day. But this points us to what Jesus said as well, which is something we always have to keep in mind. God sets out a path before us. To walk on this path in the good life It does mean saying, God, there is no good apart from you. I have no good apart from you. I want to rejoice in the people that you put in my orbit. Look at what's excellent and good in them and rejoice in the time, delight in them for the time that I have. I'm going to resist all false gods and and the thing that the world says is good and how uh, the world calls me to walk in, in goodness. And I'm going to choose the life that you have for me. I'm going to choose to walk down that path. But Jesus says, hey, remember this. Though the gate is wide and the path is wide, that leads to destruction. So, enter by the narrow gate. And many people are going to enter into the wide gate. There are many people that are living what they think is the good life, only to discover it's not. And that way is wide. 
but narrow is the gate. And sometimes the way is hard that leads to the good life. And those who find it are few. But here's the good news. In Christ Jesus, we all can find the good life. In Christ Jesus, we all can live the good life. In Christ Jesus, we all can know the good life. He has set the way before us, the path that leads to life. It's a path that sometimes is difficult, it's hard, certainly never easy, but there is fullness of joy and pleasures evermore at the right hand of God. Not only when we get to the end, but even as we go on the journey. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you give us the ability to live the good life. And I pray, Father, that you give us great revelation as we're going into a time of worship about what that good life is for us, how we need to live it, the path on which we need to walk, And Father, I pray that you would reveal to us how we have no good apart from you. I pray that you would show us the people that are in our orbit, our land, who are the saints, the holy ones, fellow travelers with God. And show us what is excellent about them and show us how to delight in that. Father, I pray that you'd show us any ways that we've compromised with the world or any ways that we're trying to live the good life on our own terms, with our own wisdom, or in a way that's essentially following after another God. And as we worship you, Father, I pray that you'd enable us to choose yet again the life that you have for us the life that is good and show us what that is so that we might declare along with David the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Make known to us the path of life because in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand pleasures evermore. And we pray all of this in and through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, whom you did not let see corruption, but you raised bodily from the dead after having lived the good life. We love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.